0: you're listening to an mpavilion podcast conversations about design and the world we live in for more visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts
1: Good evening, everyone. So great to see realistic faces (laughs) off the pixelated screen. Um, I would just like to begin this event with acknowledgement of the country. So I would like to acknowledge the Eastern Kulin nations as the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. I pay my respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. I would also like to extend my respect to any aboriginals or Torres Strait Islanders who may be present today. My name is Gumji uh, I'm the co-chair of the Emerging Architects and the Graduates Network, in short, IMAGINE, um, of the Australian Institute of the Architects. So IMAGINE exists as a body of network to support the recent graduates or the young architects, um, and also affiliated professionals within architectural industry. So it's so great to see people, and I'm so delighted to finally host non-Zoom, non-Teams, Miro, whatever platform that you may be on, um, and instead we're in person and in flash. <laughs> so we have endured 262 days of lockdown, And we have finally gathered here today to hear from fabulous panels um, of our speakers and also our moderators. So I'm not going to speak too long because I'm going to pass over to amazing Kim and Amy who will be moderating today. And they'll be introducing the panellists tonight. Thank you everyone. And please hang around after as well and obviously come around to say hello to all the Imagine Committee members after as well. Thank you.
2: Uh, Good evening, everybody. As Gumji has said, thank you so much for joining us. I think we're all pretty zoomed out or screened out at the moment. So lovely to be sharing this moment underneath this beautiful pavilion. I'm Kimberly Ho. I'm an architecture graduate and also a freelance writer. So you occasionally may find me writing a bit for Yellow Trace if I'm not doing my architecture reveting work. (laughs) perhaps, um, and yeah, I'm going to pass on to Amy.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm Amy Fitzpatrick. I am an architect at Clark Hopkins Clark Architects in the education sector, um, and tonight with us we have Claire Cousins, Alison Potter, Tom McKenzie, and Danielle Peck. So we might ask you each to introduce yourselves and give us a bit of background about yourselves and your, your practices and, yeah. Hi,
3: I'm Claire Cousins, um, architect, uh, practice is in North Melbourne. There's 13 of us. I started, I think, nearly 17 years ago, uh, the practice. Uh, We do um, housing and more recently doing lots of affordable and social housing and specialist disability housing, which has been a really interesting transition over the last few years.
4: Hello. All right. (laughs) Um, So, Alison Potter. I'm a principal at Grimshaw Architects. Um, So, it's a global practice. Um, We have about... 550 people worldwide now, um, and about 180 people in Australia. Um, so I've been with Grimshaw for 12 years now. Um, been 20 years in Melbourne. Um, yeah. So, so uh, uh, for those who don't know Grimshaw, um, we came in from London. It was found a practice founded by Sir Nicholas Grimshaw back in 1980, um, and Came off the back of Southern Cross Station. Um, So uh, we've since been moving away from rail and uh, aviation projects, which probably most of you know us best for, um, but working into almost every sector now. So working into education projects, um, just delivered the Monash Woodside Building um, and into commercial um, office, um, into arts and culture. Um, and in my particular field um, is into mass planning and urban design regeneration projects.
5: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Tom McKenzie. I'm the director of Winwood McKenzie Architecture. Uh, we've got a studio on Hardware Lane in the city and I uh, live in Kyneton. And we have, uh, we've been going for about 10 years now and do a lot of residential work. And recently we've been doing more of renovation work for cultural buildings, such as the Northcote Theatre, uh, the Beechworth Post Office and large-scale projects like that. And um, this year, we had the pleasure of working with Grimshaw and Barack Wright on the NGVC competition.
6: Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Danielle Peck. I um, founded Architecture Associates, where a small practice that was founded about five years ago Um, We specialise in projects for the cultural sector, creative sectors, um, which includes um, kind of actually quite a broad mix of scales, uh, art galleries uh, and the like, but we also do um, quite a few residential projects for people within those sectors, so a little bit of a mixed bag um, and we're micro compared to everybody else where, you know, four people at the moment. So, um, yeah, quite small.
2: Thank you so much for giving us those introductions. And I hope it wasn't too daunting. So I think in light of this themes topic, which is where to next before we preface, I thought it would be good that for both of us, we'll preface this with your experience with the loaded question is, how have all of you been this year? personally, or feel free to, if you don't mind, share with us personally. The past two years, we'll try and not name this pandemic or try not to name it in any way. We might call it a curveball, but yeah, if one of any of you could start and share with us and we'll go from there.
3: I think we're doing it in order again, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) But I get first pick and you can't repeat what I say. (laughs) Um, Oh, look, I think... Mm, it has been a blur. I'm very, I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve. Um, I think out of, out of all of it, I've tried to focus on the positives and the silver linings and the things that have become um, apparent that maybe wouldn't have had we not had the experiences. Um, so we've got two um, girls who are 10 and 13 and last year we lived down the coast for seven months while working and they lived this kind of ideal sort of 70s childhood where they were allowed to do whatever they wanted, ride bikes after school. And um, and just as a family of four, we were very um, lucky to have each other, to have that kind of very simplistic life. Um, And given that they're getting a bit older and often don't want to spend as much time with us, it kind of forced them to spend a lot of time with us. So that was one little blessing. I think the other thing is just the flexibility that, even though we're all sick to death of Zoom and Teams, the flexibility that remote working brings to everyone. Um, I was talking to someone today in my office who eventually her long-term plan is to, you know, move to Queensland. I think most of Victoria, I think there's a bit of a migration up north happening. But I just said to her, you can move this year. Like you don't have to kind of, it's something that you can completely keep your job in Melbourne and live in another city. And I think that that's a very exciting opportunity. I think there's lots of colleagues who have staff in New Zealand, Perth, Northern New South Wales, um, and it all seems to be working very well. They might sometimes fly back once a month. So I think that that those flexible opportunities or even living regionally, I think are really exciting. So I won't hog all the the positives. Um,
4: So I think my experience, um, very similar juggling homeschooling, (laughs) um, remote working, and I mean, I guess we we had the, I guess, nice thing that happened was that we became more connected globally, actually. So um, I found that communication actually improved with our kind of international networks. Um, But I think also, yeah, just, you know, things go on, I guess, projects, um, like everyone, I guess, is moving towards more meaningful work. And I think that actually that happened. Like a number of our projects, you know, if I'm reflecting back and what I wanted to do, I kind of did it. Um, so it was one of those things that, despite um, despite all of those challenges, um, those opportunities were still there. And actually, it was pretty busy times and really good times, um, and a lot of opportunity to connect with each other and just finding a way. <laughs>
5: yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite it's quite a tricky question, I find, because <laughs> um, it was quite a mixed mixed year. Mixed year. And um, I think one of the things that became very important was becoming far more aware of the lives that are in the practice and um, part of the practice, whether that's clients and staff and also bigger questions that are happening in the world and how we're connected to them and how, um, what difference we can make within that. And I think that's, that's led to the practice asking a lot of questions and having some really good discussions within the practice. Um, and I think the outcomes of those conversations I hope we take forward with us. Um, and they have been important and the perspective of graduates has been important, the perspective as parents has have been important and the kind of role that either civic projects or residential projects play in people's lives um, has also really been... Uh, the conversation's been a bit different than it has previously and um, I think all of that has really made us feel very um, confident that architecture has a really important role to play and the way we practice architecture uh, is something that's continually evolving but ultimately needs to really rise to the challenges that are presented to it and um, I think we all have a lot to contribute. So in a way, the outcome of it has been quite positive, but whilst juggling a practice and a young family and going in and out of lockdowns and following everything that's going and obviously being very conscious of the impact it's had on other people's lives. And we've had um, clients who have got COVID and family members that have got COVID that, that that's been, you know, it's all been thrown in the mix. Um, and so, in ways, it's been very challenging. But out of that, I think it does really force some quite, um, some reflection on, on what's going on around you.
6: Um, echoing all the struggles, obviously, um, it was a, for a period of time for myself personally, um, but also our practice, it was immensely challenging, of course, but... Um, part of our practice is uh, academics. We do um, a lot of teaching and that means coming into contact with students who, some of which um, have spent extremely long periods of time in very, very small apartments, um, which, yeah, was quite pretty confronting for us to, to sort of be a part of that, but also, um, you know, feeling quite privileged um, to have done that. Um, I guess the the really positive professional thing to come out of it for, for our practice was um, what everyone sort of touched on is the reflection. Um, you know, it's it feels kind of rare to get an opportunity where you can jump off the treadmill so abruptly um, and force, forcefully at that and um, you know, it wasn't a particularly busy year for our practice in terms of like lots of jobs coming through the door or um, massive growth or anything like that um, commercially but you um, you know, it was a massive creative growth for our practice. So I think, um, I think we'll really look back on these years as probably some of the most pivotal for our young practice um, where we kind of found a real clarity in what we're doing and a real purpose. And, you know, we were really given um, an opportunity to do that. So um, I guess now coming out of that a little bit, I'm I'm really grateful for that as well. So... Um, lots to be
0: thankful for um, and, yeah, moving moving forward with positivity. Yeah, thank you all for being so um, upfront and honest. I think we've all, everyone, struggled in unique ways and particularly in our practice we've seen everyone from all different levels struggle in different ways or react in very different ways throughout all the various lockdowns. And, um, and Tom, I think you mentioned it's right through really reflecting um, that we can really step back and see the positives and through looking at, reflecting on what we've been through, we can, um, it's not, yeah, we realise that through reflecting, we can look forward into 2022 and what's to come. But before we start thinking about that, we'd like to get your thoughts on the current industry environment and a lot of what you've each have mentioned, the positive outcomes for it, have fueled what seems to be happening at the moment. It's quite um, a hot industry environment, <laughs> one way of putting it, I guess. There's a lot of work out there, a lot of movement, and a lot of people questioning where they are at in their careers. And Kim and I have both come from, had unique journeys through, uh, through the past two years. We're both at very different stages in our careers. Kim's a young graduate and I've um, been practising for several years and, um, in my current practice and um, I think, Kim... I'm th- would you like to speak for graduates and your experience for the past two years?
2: Um, I think for me and a few of my friends, we can all agree that we graduated at a time when our industry hasn't been at its best. So, like, I'd like to believe that we graduated a time where our industry was quite bottlenecked in which there was an influx of us because I believe these past couple of years there has been the largest amount of architecture graduates. Uh, Unfortunately, there are very minimal jobs that can or like few firms that can take graduates or have the time and the space to actually give them resources and the proper mentoring and such. And it's always this search for the past two years of how do I get a job? What is the cookie cutter answer of, you know, getting a job, getting the right folio, networking, but we're never really given the specific directions of like, how do we talk to people at networking? Because I think for Amy and I, sometimes we go to networking, go and have a few drinks, say hi, small talk, and now what? Like, what do we do? So, um, yeah, I think perhaps, like, your thoughts on this industry, how has it been changed and things that you'd like to share with everybody
0: as well. And, yeah, advice for young grads navigating the industry at the moment, uh, being quite
3: different and unique to the previous years. (laughs) Well, now's the time to seize the moment. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of work out there, and therefore there's a lot of work for grads. So, um, I think... Um, yeah, it's, it is good to network, meet people. Um, it, a lot of yeah, but I think trying to build up your folio and and don't be don't wait for people to just advertise jobs. We interviewed someone today from another state who, like you know, mad twentieth of December, but we still did an interview today because their folio looked really interesting and um, and we're always on the lookout for you know um, new people. I think the other thing that this climate has done is. Uh, it is an opportunity for kind of self-reflection and entering different sectors. And so, as I said before, we've normally done mostly housing, single res housing for a long time and some selective multi res more recently. But because of COVID, the state government um, has finally been um, um, putting significant funds in to stimulating under-resourced sectors such as affordable housing. And so, the the, the big build for five and a half billion which was launched last year, has actually led to us being involved in three quite big projects. One under um, HABLE, under like a big, uh, bigger project directly for the government and um, with KTA, and then two ourselves um, for um, community housing providers. Um, and so they're, you know, exciting, some regional work, um, but essentially working on actually and then to specialist disability, which weren't from government funding, but there's just this kind of movement. And so you, you you can really, it's amazing how quickly in about 15 months, the work that we're doing has radically changed from the beginning of COVID. I think in with that change, sometimes you can take on a bit too much or too much of one sector. And so we're now going, ah, having to like, you know, pull back a bit or trying to b- balance it all. Um, but I think then that's when it's really important to be, sharing with um, colleagues, talking with people who work in that sector and really kind of banding together as a community and a profession to really support um, one another. Um, and I think we need to be doing what we can to lift the profile of architects and the value that architects bring, particularly in this challenging, uh, I suppose, procurement model that still is a problem in the in the commercial and larger public work, so. Um, yeah,
4: I'll reiterate, um, things are booming at the moment. Um, I think most people that I speak to are very, very busy. Most architectural practice are busy. Very diverse um, range of sectors. Um, And I think that really it's about finding what you um, believe in, finding meaning in the work that you do. And I think that's the big, um, what do they call it? The great uh, resignation, you know, it's about finding that meaning in what you do, putting yourself out there. Um, And I I kind of called, um, 2021, at the start of this year, the year of opportunism, Um, and that was about kind of just going to an event and just hoping for the best, hoping it would happen. Um, And you know, this is one of those events, Um, and I just think that, yeah, just finding a way out there and getting connected and being involved. um, Finding, um, we were involved, um, Claire as well, involved in an initiative this year called A New Normal, um, and that was was great. It was just a a nice way to connect with each other, Um, and I think that that strengthening of um, the local industry is also another form of connection for graduates as well. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, put yourself out there, um, but try and find what it is that you believe in um, and go for it. Thank you. It 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 doesn't have to be a
2: round table, (laughs) like, please feel free to jump in. I wasn't ready. Okay. (laughs)
6: Um, uh, Authenticity. Absolutely, Alison. I mean, that's um, so vital. And I think um, now is the time. It's, uh, there is a lot of work out there at at lots of different practices. Um, You know, Claire, again, that's absolutely correct, like, apply when there's no job, you know, advertised, it's um, always that initiative that I think um, gets you a foot in the door. Um, I'm always really impressed with portfolios that come in that authentic way, like I've looked at your work, I'm really interested in this as a, as a sector, I've done studios, you know, X, Y, Z that really relate and um, yeah, you, that passion is, is quite palpable um, when you're assessing uh, future, future hires, so... I think the the whole, the great resignation or the, the, what we're seeing, I think that's also super exciting. I mean, obviously, um, you know, think carefully <laughs> before making big life decisions, but also, you know, I mean, just look at the world's history. Some of, you know, the world's greatest thinkers and thinking and art has come out of such adversity and misfortune, so I think that we should all just be really embracing this moment and moving forward with bravery, so
5: yeah I'd agree with with all of that. And the thing that we've noticed this year as well is a lot of the conversations that have been floating around in the industry have seen that uh, what's happening with COVID has really f- forced those to come into stark reality. Um, so and I think graduates have a huge amount to offer that conversation. Um, and especially what you taught at university, but also what you're passionate about. So we're finding, and we found particularly this year, that the way clients were talking about sustainability, the way they were talking about access for all, engagement with First Nations groups um, for a number of sites has really moved forward very quickly. And I think that's a really good thing for architects because I do think we, we can bring that knowledge if we're proactive about gaining it and maintaining it, um, and also with the changes to the NCC, that the role of the architect in the built environment can can be a very important one because we can be across all of these all these ideas, and we do need um, younger architects with who are passionate about all of these ideas, really bringing an authentic voice to those projects, and. Um, as, as I said, clients have been responding to that in, in a very strong way, more so this year than than previous years.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. Thank you for your, uh, yeah, kind of mentoring advice, I guess, for all our grads out there. Um, coming from the perspective of someone who's been practising for... Uh, about five or six years now, I've noticed a lot of people in my uh, similar cohort are starting to question their careers um, and a lot of people are actually leaving architecture and moving around and getting headhunted and questioning, is this the right right time to move? And I'm curious about the experience you've had in your practices, particularly um, Alison and a larger one. Have you noticed um, with people uh, in the early phase of their careers now that there's such opportunities out there that everyone's starting to move around and question,
4: yeah, <laughs> where they're at and if it's the right thing they're doing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we, we've we had a really interesting last couple of years in that respect, we've had people that joined during lockdown that like literally met their teams six months later. <laughs> um, and, you know, conversely, we've got people returning um, who left our practice um, a year or two ago and have come back. Um, so I think definitely that shift, I mean, I think being in a large practice, I think that's kind of an inevitable thing. Um, people working on a long project want to see, what else is out there and um, looking to kind of grow and constantly um, evolve um, yeah but I it's going to show my age now but um, I <laughs> I went through um, uh, I went through the GFC in London um, and you know I think I sort of think about that experience compared to now and um, there's a real conscious choice about change now as opposed to back then which is feeling thrust upon you, but um, people adapted anyway and found their feet, so um, yeah.
3: I think the difference with that too seems to be economically, in that I think there was a big kind of recession and economic decline whereas the positive with this is that there's kind of a quick economic recovery and a kind of, which is why we've got material shortages because everyone wound (laughs) down production, so it's kind of interesting how like one small factor can have a big difference in the power or the leverage that the employee has because of the work, um, the work that's out there.
0: Yeah, yeah Alison, coming from um, a practice that does have many offices around the world, have you noticed a similar impact throughout the world in different cities or is Melbourne quite unique?
4: Uh, I think each, each studio um, was impacted in very different ways at very different times. Um, we actually also have a lot of movement between studios. So we've had people, even during... COVID moving across the different studios and, um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we also um, support each studio in that way too. So, sometimes, you know, we'll have teams that are working into projects internationally just to kind of help out that, um, that sort of imbalance. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I mean, I think every, every city, I mean, that's the interesting thing about COVID as well. Every city has been impacted in their own way. Then for the smaller practices,
2: I would like to see like, how has that shifted your perspective? Evidently, that's that change in direction of what type of architecture, was it kind of something brewing in the back of your mind or it's just that instant epiphany per se that made you change that direction? Because I think pivotal was quite a strong keyword from the discussion early on. (laughs) <laughs> uh, i I think I might I'll, I'd use
6: the word pivotal um yeah it's um for us it's it's maybe narrowed actually um the types of work that we do, and I guess when I say narrowed it's it's in an expansive way if you can, if you can call it that of the word narrowed in that we we have clarity now that um we didn't have before, so through that clarity has um Emerged a real focus for our practice, which is um, really invigorating, and has unlocked a whole lot of creative thinking. So, um, yeah, the, it, it's it's not a, not one of diversification for us. We're small, um, and we need to be really focused um, in order to achieve milestones and to think about um, our, our sort of pathway. But um, it's sort of been a um, yeah, just a really nice feeling to to have that time to focus and to get ready for something
0: that's um, quite specific. It's interesting that you mentioned um, your perspective is narrowed. With Claire, you mentioned before there's so many new opportunities to diversify out there. Um, Have you found that your perspective is narrowed as well? You're kind of a, a gauge how to navigate all the new opportunities with your practice at the
3: moment? And yeah, I I, tend, I agree with Danielle though. It's kind of, it is quite liberating to, I think for so many years, I had no idea what my focus was. <laughs> and you think, oh, got to be, got to, you know, and good, you know, architects can do kind of everything. But there is something nice to really have a, a, f- a focus on a, a passion that you can then, you know, invest in research and um, knowledge. And it, it doesn't mean that you then can't step outside those boundaries from time to time for select clients when you get that kind of values alignment. But I think it has solidified, um, like, for example, well, don't tell our some of our existing private developers, but we've decided we're not doing any more private development work. Um, you know, we, we prefer if we're going to do um, multi-res that we want it to be affordable or social or, you know, for a greater good. And it's kind of a nice bookend when you're doing private housing and then doing kind of more social housing. You really get that great spectrum. And we still, you know, we'll do the odd commercial project or this that and the other, but it, it just really gives you... I think also too, when, when there is a surplus of work, it's nice that you can be a little bit more strategic in the work that you take on and really be um, you know completely uh, in, and, and look, you, I think it's so important to love love the projects that you're doing, because um, architecture is a long game, it's a really bloody hard profession, and so you've got to lo- love what you do, so that you still you know you, you hold on to the ideas and push through for the three, four, five years that you are on projects. So, and I think that's something when people are reflecting on the work that they're doing or the practices they're working in, it is really important. And not every day is good. Everyone has bad days and hard days, but that you feel like you're contributing to something positive and good. I think that is a really important, Um, or, you know, to feel good on the inside too. Yeah,
0: certainly, and with the environment at the moment, we have the opportunity to find out what it is that makes us feel good or what we're passionate about in architecture and pursue that. Tom, have you had a similar experience your, um, with your practice? you find that you've had the opportunities to narrow what you're about and the projects you choose to work on or accept?
5: Yeah, I think we've we've had a similar experience to Claire where we've narrowed the focus of what we are particularly interested in, but at the same time, we've had other opportunities that have expanded what that narrow focus is um so we had been slowly building up a a bit of a reputation for doing heritage renovation projects um and as i said out of that has come a project where we're turning the northcote theater into a 1500 person performing arts space which just got a planning permit which is very exciting and um Beachworth Post Office where it's an adaptive, large adaptive reuse project and we've been doing a large master plan for the Kyneton Primary School which has been disused since 2017 um, and that has a core component of a gallery um, but then will be a series of community spaces um, which is an adaptive reuse of a 1980s building and Encouragingly, we feel very comfortable working on those projects because we have worked on similar residential projects, and it's just a step up in scale. Um, and we've built a good team who have the sort of the right skills to be able to deliver those projects. So it feels like it's come at the right time. Um, but like Claire said, it's a long game. So <laughs> we we tr- we do work hard to try to to build a good team and that people feel very. Um, you know engaged with the practice and and I think that has led to a very positive atmosphere and one that's helped us get through the last 2 years in a really good way
2: Yeah, I feel like it's also, it takes a collective, so it's also teamwork within the team to be able to agree in the directional change that everybody wants to go towards in order to make it successful. I think one question I would like to ask, just out of curiosity, was it hard to solidify that identity? Because I guess going into that different direction also means to build that trust for that new group of clients as well as you are entering that field. So... um, I don't know who
5: to point because I don't want to single out anybody. So, by all means, uh, I, I can jump in there. I th- it f- for it was a combination of uh, of it naturally becoming more and more apparent, mm. but at the same time not being completely passive and actively seeking out. You know, we've we've been constantly having those conversations for the last two or three years what are we going to do, how do we differentiate ourselves from other very talented emerging practices in Melbourne, Um, often who are your friends. And and so, you know, there is a cohort of practices and I think everyone can bring something um, quite special to, to projects. And so it's been an ongoing conversation, but at the same time, it's also taken time to really consolidate that and feel confident that that is the way you want to go. Um, And then you get shortlisted for the NGV competition (laughs) and that throws all that up in the air. But then you sort of, you know, work out a way of working through those. Um, That leads to more really, really strong and interesting conversations, which then helps you um, further refine what you do. Um, But I think that what it also does from a graduate perspective is what we've found is being able to articulate that as best we can, does attract a particular type of graduate to the practice. And then when we interview people who have come to the practice because they know the work, that's that's often a very positive, positive conversation.
3: I think the other thing I'd say too, with even observing what Tom's done, is that there becomes that thing from doing and doing and doing and, you know, with. Um, uh, heritage work on housing, it I think when you have, have practiced it over and over again, it then gives you kind of um, greater confidence and conviction in your ability. Like I think sometimes what the scariest ones are the big leaps sometimes. And I think um, it, it, it occasionally happens overnight, like NGV uh, shortlisting. <laughs> but, um, but it's kind of nice and reassuring, I think, when you can feel that you've got this, you know, breadth of experience and the interest. And I, I think sometimes it becomes, you know, you've got to work at it and it can be a long game, but at the same time, it can feel like a natural proge- progression too.
0: Um, in s- saying all this and coming to terms with uh, your practices, visions, and what you're all about, and um, do you think you've achieved what you anticipated you would over the past two years, uh, the start of 2019? If you, Did you have particular goals that have now transformed and changed or that has grown, been, or grown upon what you originally set out to do? <laughs> um,
6: I didn't have a
0: plan at all at the start of it.
6: <laughs> um, we really, yeah, I think the the, the start of um, whatever we're calling it, the thing that happened, um, w- you know, we were pretty lost as a practice in, in terms of how are we going to respond, how are going to grow stronger, um, where are we going to position ourselves and, you know, being um, small, um, how are we going to get out in the community and speak to our, our audience Um you know, physically, is that, it was quite scary and daunting. Um, so we had to reassess, yeah, um, enormously. And I think just looking back on it now, I think we've achieved so much more than we thought we would. I think we had a um, we had a real ambition to create a home for the practice, a physical home, um, and. We have, we have a new office now on Gertrude Street that we've been renovating through the pandemic, through sort of one trade at a time every month when they were allowed in the door. So it's been incredibly um, hard going and and slow, but looking back, um, I think we feel a a really strong sense of achievement. Um, We feel very grounded. So um, yeah, no, there was no sort of checklist of things that we ticked off and, and achieved. It sort of all went out the window, but, um, for the better. And I think um, we've come out much stronger.
3: For us, the two years were totally different. So just, I was just reflecting while Danielle was talking on, because you don't actually go, I haven't had time to go back and think, but, <laughs> but reflecting on it last year, every month was can I make payroll and can I keep everyone employed every month? And fortunately, we did. And... And I think, too, because I had my brothers in the performing arts and friends of ours in, a, in senior hospitality positions. And I think, as a practice, we just felt incredibly grateful that we were permitted to keep working um, and were very conscious of the people who couldn't keep working. And so, that was really kind of keeping us a smile on our faces because we were like, well, we're exhausted and sick to death teams, but we're still working, you know. And then... And then it actually was then coming into the end of last year, coming out of lockdown, that's kind of when everything exploded with work. You know, people wanted to do their houses, they realised they didn't like, they didn't have enough space or, and then the um, stimulus projects were happening. So then this year has just been kind of crazy, you know, absolutely crazy. So they were very different years because I think there was a lot of uncertainty last year wasn't there with not, we just didn't know when it was going to end. Victoria was in this long lockdown, then we kind of came out of it in end of October. So it's been a very different, I think. And you've yeah, just had agreed. to kind of keep, and then I think also the, there's a huge amount of exhaustion and burnout and people are just, I think the second, this this lockdown, whichever number six was really, I think that's where everyone's kind of just been totally worn out. So, and just trying to keep the team motivated, happy, people's mental health, people living alone and working alone, you know, it's, it's really, it's been really um, tough. And I think people leading teams or for us running practices, you've kind of got to do your work and that you've got to keep everyone, you know, um, I don't know, buoyant and it, it's been really hard and I think Christmas can't come quick enough. Everyone's exhausted.
4: Yeah, i just add to that. I think, um, yeah, that kind of sense. This year definitely the exhaustion's kicked in. I think definitely last year was survival and this year was just like, Yeah, things coming out of the sky um, and just, you know, I guess that sort of perseverance and learning how to be a bit more agile and um, embracing uncertainty. I think that's probably, it's been this year and and just sort of going along with it Um, and, you know, good things have come from that and I think it's, you know, just reflecting on this year, it's been actually pretty incredible and, um, yeah, like, who knew we'd get this far with NGPC. It's like, wow. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, um, you know, everyone have a good break, rest up. I hope you're going somewhere very relaxing. Um, And then, yeah, looking forward to 2022. I think it's going to be really exciting. Tom,
2: do
5: you have anything you'd like to say? Yeah, our experience sounds quite similar to Claire. And I think um, what what became very apparent is obviously architecture is quite a collective act and that relies on not only the profession and the institute who um, did a huge amount of work keeping everyone up to date with the constant changes and that was really very valuable to us as a small practice who doesn't have a studio manager who can be across a lot of those things Um, but then, and then it got busier this year but I think what it really we, I'm not sure our trajectory changed that much, I mean, the timing changed, but it did really make me think a lot more about how do you run a resilient practice, um, both from a from a team perspective, but also from a business perspective, and that you can sort of weather these events, and that there's the potential that um, you just you just don't know what's around the corner, um, and I think it's just a good it's just good business practice to be able to do that, and and so we. It made us really reflect on that a lot and the hours we were putting into projects and um, the hours staff were putting into the projects. We've always had a sort of policy that we work very reasonable hours um, and it just sort of consolidated that I thought that was really important and that we'd try to continue to do that um, and try to do that well. And that, as I said, I think as a practice um, and as a profession, I think we have a lot to offer these, what's happening in the world and, um, but in order to do that, you really need to have the ability to invest in research. So, you know, we're spending a lot of time thinking about carbon neutral buildings and how not only and a carbon neutral practice. And how can we continue to contribute to that? And I think architects have a lot to, to contribute to that. But you need to have a practice that is able to afford to invest in that and, and not do that sort of um, yeah, and so I think it's really that—that's been at the forefront of my mind going going forward.
0: Yeah, Tom, you mentioned I'm um, having resilient practice and responding to the environment and how you run your practices. I'm quite curious how you're each navigating um, employees' expectations coming into next year. I know I'm in my, my workplace. Um, we're still navigating the work-from-home policies and how this plays out, and what people's expectations are and their values, and allowing employees to um, realise their values and have family time and but still contribute to the practice. How are you each going with them, um, navigating that moving forward into 2022?
5: I can jump. We've been, obviously I've been talking about it a lot with the staff. So yeah, we're we're a team of age. Um, and the conversations that we had recently were that for the rest of this year that we would keep it pretty fluid and just see how people felt um, We had people that were a couple of staff who were living in very small apartments and it's been a they've found it a joy to be back in the studio and around other people uh, and then we had other staff members who have had kids in the last two years, and they found it, um they were very anxious about coming back to the practice full-time because they hadn't actually, their family unit hadn't experienced that. Um, and so I guess that goes back to what I was saying at the start, that it, it's become very apparent how different people's requirements are in, in the workplace. And what we've kind of arrived at is that we're looking at potentially uh, a three-day in the practice and two-day at home, and if you want to do five, you can. But I think a minimum of three is probably going to work. And um, I imagine that the two days at home, some of the staff that are doing that, that could be the most productive two days <laughs> of their week. Um, and we'll, we'll see how that goes for the time being. But I think that I think that's a positive development, um, and it allows people to have a good work-life balance and um, in terms of what you were saying about people leaving the profession and people staying, I think the flip side of that as well is you get people that are very passionate and I think setting those boundaries around work and architecture and um, how that works is something that, that is is a useful conversation to be having both, both within the practice but also for clients, setting client expectations around how long it takes to do the work that we do and then subsequently the value that that brings and, and the time that it takes, yeah. I could all, that could all be, I could all be wrong about that. <laughs> that's what I'm working on at the moment. I, th-
2: I think that's the unfortunate circumstances of uncertainty and the saying that you always grow wiser in hindsight, <laughs> so. Oh, please oh, just, um,
4: we're involved in the Champions of Change, um, which is really quite interesting because it's really um, connecting some of the larger practices in terms of the challenges that they're having um, and starting to put in place um, some policies around flexible working. Um, I mean, we, we've, we for like, I worked for many years part-time um, when my kids were really little. Um, and, you know, we now have um, quite a number of our staff um, working part-time um, and, you know, I think for us when that that happened and we, you know, had to kind of overnight just become remote. Um, a lot of that infrastructure, luckily, we had in place because we had that circumstance. Um, so, it's been really interesting, I guess, being part of those um, working groups and I guess sharing the things that have and haven't worked and and, and starting to explore different models of hybrid working. Um, so, there's, you know, little things that we're starting to put in place, like every meeting, having a Zoom link. Um, you know, looking around the office um, and, you know, everyone's on a Zoom call even though they're in the office to each other. You know, it's very strange things happening like that. Um, you just get really good headsets. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's really interesting to see that shift and, and, and hopefully it enables more people to work flexibly and uh, work part time. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, certainly. How about, Danielle, have you found that in an office of four people?
6: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's slightly different in that um yeah it's more of a sort of closer conversation um is required, but at the same time, um it took no infrastructure to sort of flip for us. I mean, we didn't have the massive logistic problems of bigger practice, and it sounds like you were really prepared anyway, but um, I know you know there's obviously a hundred person practice has faces sort of very different challenges to us, so I mean, I just think the bottom line is the people that work for the practice are the business and they're the face of your business, they're the heart and soul of the business and um, it's not about just giving people what they want, it's just about making sure that people that you employ are um, feeling really engaged and fulfilling, you know, their own ambitions. So. Um, it's a bit more of a fluid conversation for us. It's, it's there's not really any structure um, required, I don't think, at the moment. Um, but I um, imagine if we grow that, yeah, we would have to put some more sort of structure in place. Um, but kind of, kind of like you, it's, um, it's kind of whatever the individuals need and want right now. Um, and we'll see what next year holds.
5: I just had a thought about a conversation that we've had in the practice as well that's become apparent um, given the Imagine cohort is that I, th- I think it's very important that grads um, speak up about how what they're experiencing in the practice and what they need because there's so much learning that happens in practice on a day-to-day, just being around the day-to-day Activities that happen in the practice, and and I imagine that that's extremely challenging for um, grads and people who are new to a practice to be able to handle that. Um, but the conversations that I've had with other directors of practices is that they're they're sort of very appreciative when their staff have communicated to them how they're feeling and what they need um, in order to feel supported. Um, and obviously, I think that's a that's a real. As a real benefit, and there has been with our team coming back to the studio, particularly designing, designing on Zoom has been a very difficult thing to do efficiently. Um, and so, I think that's a really important important thing to consider um, in terms of how how what the relationship between the practices and different staff members, whereas. Some of our more senior staff members, they they actually really like having the space to just get solid blocks of work done without being asked by lots <laughs> of <the> grads' <laughs> questions all the time. So I guess it's trying to find the right mix to make that really productive for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's certainly about finding that balance. And I've been astounded myself by how much I've learnt by being in the office again and how many conversations you miss out on at home that, um, yeah, it's been quite uh, a realisation for me. Claire, have you found a similar... Experience or how are you navigating the um, employees' expectations into next year?
3: Yeah, I think like um, Tom mentioned, we I think the day we could everyone can came, everyone was back in. Like they couldn't wait. Um, I think it's uh, surprisingly with twelve a team of twelve, none of them have kids. I don't know whether I'm sending off the wrong vibes, but. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sure it'll happen one day. Very family-friendly office. <laughs> um, I'm the only person with children, um, but so therefore, in some respects, that made it that was one less complexity that, that the, the team didn't have to kind of juggle. But a lot of people, quite a few people live by themselves, and I think we were saying before, Kimberly, You know, I think you were saying couldn't wait to. You didn't you didn't like working from home because you don't <laughs> like your home becoming your workplace. Um, we we. We said, you know, let's play it flexibly till the end of the year, no no one's worked from home apart from if they've had a partner with a sniffle or, you know, and so we've kept the the IT system running, A, because also for backup, if someone does get, you know, has a cold, but they're fine to keep working. And, but we were, we're just, we're just finding our way, you know, people have definitely discussed that they wanna have um, some days at home and I'm the same. And it's often more often than the senior people because it's the one day that you can actually put yourself in these kind of bubbles to get a lot of work done. Um, I think the key thing we've kind of discussed is that, is to ideally, if it can be a day that's planned, it doesn't have to. We're not. It doesn't have to be a set day a week. It's just more that it's not. I'll work up today. I'm not going to go in today. You know the, the, it's more so that other people in the team just know where you're going to be that day. So we've kind of, you know, we've got a calendar that you can kind of put it into. And anyway, we're all kind of finding our feet, but it's going to, I think, going to be the way of the future, and I think very positive.
2: Thank you for concluding that on a really positive and uplifting note. <laughs> um, and then, so just to conclude the evening, I would like to, or we would like to invite the audience to ask questions. Um, this is perhaps a good way to test out your networking opportunities. <laughs> if you can ask some interesting questions, uh, if not, yeah, um, <laughs> you gym, we'll pass the mic.
7: And thank you for all of your comments today and all of the reflection. Um, you hold your mic? Yep, thank you. <laughs> yep,
2: better? Yeah, <laughs> much better, thank you.
7: Um, my question was, well, I think um, all of you kind of mentioned that especially in 2021, there has been like a uplift in the numbers of projects and lots of hiring is going on. But like a big chunk of that is mostly like these seamless coming through and I was just wondering how reliable is this to, for example, switch jobs at a time like this and make sure that, well, every stimulus is kind of like a bubble and it will burst at some point and then the number will go down. How do you think this will continue through, let's say, for five years, ten years? How reliable is it? Maybe 10 years, no one can talk about it. Or am I just overthinking?
6: <laughs> I don't think anyone can maybe predict one year. <laughs> um, I think maybe the question is also less about what we can predict and more about how the graduate network is going to transition into professional workplaces and whether those jobs that are available now are um, indeed long-term propositions. Um, and I don't know what the panel thinks because um, I do I do worry as well that some of the, um, I don't know, some of the bigger practices might be more conservative with taking on permanent hires or um, there might be sort of a hangover of um, trepidation, you know, that sort of carries forward even though times are really... Um, booming it seems for, for most practices so uh, look I, I don't think anyone can predict it but um, I think I think as a graduate um, it's a really valid question to to present when you're you know when you're interviewing for new projects um, in terms of your permanence at a new place and um, aligning yourself with a culture that 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 you really um, believe in and and sort of trying to you know I, I guess I guess, uh, like you, I'm hopeful um, and like the rest of the panellists that there will be sort of systemic change and flexibility and adaptability and and, um, we'll all be able to transition with confidence into the next few years, but, um, you know, again, you look backwards 10 years and and the market, you know, continues to go up and down, so it's very very tricky to be sure.
3: There's always a cycle of work. and I think that the thing is, is to, you know, to, to get in, get your foot in the door and then be a sponge and work hard and be as valuable to that practice. You know, it really is that, that thing that um, it's a bit like the architects like the directors, like good architects, good architecture practices are generally always have work. I mean, the last really bad time was when I was starting university in 1993. I'm really old. I started 94. Um, and most architects were driving taxis back then because it was kind of a really bad recession. Um, but, and since then, what's that? 30 years, you know, It's it, it, there's dips, there's GFC, there's always cyclical economic cycles. You just have to get in, um, think about who you wanna work for and, and I think also give small practices a try too. I think some graduates and students are often worried about going to a smaller practice because they're worried about job security. I no offence to the large practices because they do great work too and amazing opportunities, but you can also learn a lot from small practices because you often get an experience to be very broadly across all sorts of things, business, jumping from client to client, the the small practices, Danielle can attest to that. I can attest when we were small and even still in our practice, the grads and the students are kind of seeing the whole organism the whole time. And I think that that's kind of exciting. So don't forget the small people.
5: Yeah, I I would just say that um, I think different opportunities are presented at different times, obviously, and uh, you can make of that, you know, what you will. And I think now if there is work, like Claire said, it's a really good time to to get started and and get a lot of experience quickly and work on some interesting projects, hopefully, and that's great. And um, obviously it's cyclical. I, I was living in New York in 2008, after leaving my job in Milan because I thought New York looked really good and couldn't have picked a worse possible time to move. And I think within two months, something like 42% of all architects in New York City had lost their job. So that was pretty much me done in New York. And, um, but what that triggered was me coming home and starting my own practice. So that was sort of an exciting thing that came out of a very disappointing thing. Um, and the friend who I was living with at the time is now the director at Grimshaw in New York and designed a Chinese Disney.
3: <laughs> and the, and <laughs> you and I went to work, it. to work And we all Dave. worked
5: together at Woodmarsh. So, you know, different people have different opportunities that, that come out of these things. So it's very hard to predict.
4: Yeah, I, um, I started at a small practice. <laughs> um, and then I just kind of kept getting a little bit bigger and bigger. And um, actually I worked at... Uh, Fosters when it was 1,400 people um, uh, at its sort of semi-peak. It's probably bigger than that now. Um, and yeah, and I think that that I've never not had a job uh, by choice, <laughs> not by choice. So I think the yeah, despite you know huge amount of change, um, you know, in the profession over that time, I think there is that continuity, and I think um, it is about your own personal development through that as well, and navigating your own pathway. Um, so, and I think, you know, we've, we've been quite fortunate, I think, over the last um, couple of years as well, that we, we, we've seen change, but that's been sort of, I guess, natural change. Um, there's always movement and always people looking for a new adventure. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities ahead, I think. I think I might just add one more thought to that before we have another audi- um,
2: Another question is potentially like cover your ground sometimes. I think for us there's that expectation as grad that you graduate, you find a job that you studied in and then you get registered and unfortunately that trajectory doesn't always happen in one shot. So. Um, like probably I'm one of the few who took me a while to get a job so it was trying to find different hobbies what have I learned from architecture that can take me to other places before I finally meandered back into the direction I want to have so yeah it's just keeping your head up while you can. <laughs> uh, next question?
7: Yep. Come <laughs>
0: So there's been a lot
6: of mention about uh, resilience and a lot of challenges that occur um, that can really put kind of a stop in your journey as, towards architecture. I just want to ask, how did you overcome your own challenges to get to where you are in your
5: career now? <laughs> Did I have the most challenges? (laughs) Blind optimism. (laughs) I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask that question. I've got... It's a really boring story. I've always wanted to be an architect, and I don't particularly enjoy working for other people. So if you could, those two things combined, a director of architecture practice was pretty up there in terms of what I would end up doing and I've persisted um, and I guess I've had enough success in it to give me the confidence to keep going and I'm not sure it's more complicated than that unless I'm missing something which it might be.
2: Um, Then would you say perhaps a little bit of naivety or perhaps um, Claire and Tom, (laughs) when you were nominated for the Emerging Architect of the Year then would you say the pressure... Was there, or were
5: like did they present to you birth as challenges then uh, I, the, the the emerging architect prize and my experience of it and was that gr- growing a practice I started my practice when I was thirty one um, and i'd been traveling a lot and so the network and people and colleagues was a really important part of um uh, my trajectory and I think also teaching and being involved in university in the early years of my practice was also really important and part of my understanding of what it meant to be an architect and pract- how to practice architecture I think came from the culture which I was practicing architecture within so um, as, li- as much as I'd like to think it was all my idea, I think there was, there was plenty of really great mentors. There was um, clearly precedents in um, emerging architects that had been awarded like Claire before me and all of that sort of helped build up a narrative of what it means to be an architecture practicing in Melbourne. Um, one thing that I find very enjoyable is that I think we have a really great design culture in Melbourne and Australia um, and there are a lot of very talented architects and designers and I enjoy being part of that culture and learning from it, not in a way that's overly competitive but in a way that motivates you to do good work and feel like it's possible to achieve good work and at the same time you, you just have to be very mindful of the realities of architecture as a practice as a business um, and that is definitely sharpened when you're employing people and when things like the last two years happen. Um, so I think it's a combination of all, all those things, but it's certainly not an individual pursuit and I'm very grateful to have had a lot of good mentors and friends and um, colleagues throughout the last 10 years, really. Yeah,
3: I just second that. I think that the... Um, when you generally when you start a practice, particularly if you start on your own, it's quite a lonely journey. Um, and I think uh, the c- connections that I made through the Institute, I actually had a couple of friends from uni at RMIT, but didn't really, I think a lot of my friends when I started practice because I was 28, um, they no one was practicing on their own. And so it was quite a lonely process. And sort of had mentors, but you kind of, some things you just think, oh, that's just such a dumb question, I can't ask that, and so slowly as people started um, starting practices, but just to have, and then it, the, the the network of colleagues and architects and f- great friends has really grown, and I think you can't underestimate how um, powerful that camaraderie and support is, because often you think, oh, and half the time I'm for work against, you know, one of my closest friends. We're very ethical, we never discuss it. <laughs> but it's actually, the, it's strength in numbers. You really do need to um, look out for each other. And the stronger the profession, the better the, the profession is for everybody, that we're not all undercutting each other with fees. And um, it's really important to um, think a bit collectively.
5: I also add, from a grad perspective, because we, I taught professional practise for a number of years. At um, Monash and RMIT, and I think one of the things that became really apparent is that um, we, like, for well, we have a perspective of being um, a practice director or practice a principal of a practice, but I think it's also really important that that that's not the only role that you know people can play, and that there's people who are. Um, you know, incredibly good and passionate about documenting buildings, or there's in people who are incredibly passionate about doing con- contract administration and would have no interest in being the director of a practice. But actually, we couldn't run the practice without those those people within the practice. And, and um, I think that's a really important thing to not dismiss and not feel like in any way you've sort of failed as an architect because you don't want to have your name on the, on the banner and have to sit up front and talk to everyone. Yeah. Anybody?
8: Yes, hi, I'm um, just wondering like, on the discussion of journeys and whatnot, like I'm in the process of, you know, considering going into like registration. I've been working for a few years and I've just been having this mindset that, you know, I really want to rush to get the registration done. Is this your recommendation of like rushing it or do you think it's best to just, you know, take your time and, you know, experience certain things before, you know, going for the registration?
3: I always say don't rush. Well, this is my opinion anyway. (laughs) I think it's just, again, depends on where you're working and unfortunately the the registration process is still um, formulated around ABIC contracts, which you don't administer in a larger practice. And so the more you can learn from doing rather than learn from th- memorising theory, because um, I think is much better. And in, the more you can, um, if you're working at a big practise, talk to the principals or directors to re- re- ask that you want more exposure broadly across the practise. Um, because ultimately, the idea behind registration um, is so that you can open your own practice. So, there's you'd get tested on GST and business acumen and lawsuits and liability and a lot of things sometimes that you don't actually necessarily need. And so, my advice to people in my office is always not to rush because it makes no difference from a pay perspective in our office. Um, people are paid for the level and what they're contributing to and um, I can't speak for all practices. I just think generally people... Um, enjoy as much as you can enjoy the registration and the learning process much more when they can actually relate it back to stories in the office or or experiences that they've had in shadowing people, doing contract administration, and I think it's a much more fruitful experience.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I mean, I was probably one who um, I got registered really quickly, um, but I was working in a small practice and administering projects, so I felt like I needed to know. Um, So I think for me that was just my own curiosity and I felt like vulnerable to not (laughs) know what I was getting myself into sometimes. So, um, yeah, so I did that quickly, but I had the ability to learn from um, very established people in the practice that I was within. Um, So it was the right time for me. Um, And I think, yeah, that's not always the case. I mean, I think, yeah, if you're working on, you know, larger practice, on on longer term projects, it's all um, about, yeah, having that exposure and and being able to um, learn at
5: the appropriate time. So, Yeah, we. I I think I've changed my view on this a little bit um, in recent times but I'd agree with Claire that I, I'm not sure you need to necessarily rush into practice but I think trying to be mindful of the nature of the work you're doing in the practice and having conversations about that is really important and that I've found to has led to a better team in my practice. We've obviously been testing all sorts of things out um, over the last few years and one thing that became really apparent that is, if you threw someone into um, producing documentation too quickly, uh, that didn't work very well and became very stressful and there was just too much that they didn't know, basically. But if you kept them doing design development on another couple of projects... Um, they actually just really thrived in that role. So it's probably a personal one. But on the flip side, I'm, I have, I'm optimistic that the improving the sustainability of buildings and the environmental performance of buildings and it, that's relationship to detailing and the building code um, can really force people within the practice to actually get very good at the technical side of architecture very quickly and I think that's going to lead to better buildings Um, and I think if if you just do that without doing that proactively like we're doing that very proactively within the practice because we're interested in carbon neutral buildings and so there's sort of opportunities there but there's also this idea of not being passive about your learning and maybe that won't be registration for someone at that point in time and that might actually be distracting but being good at the thing that you're doing, so for example if you're doing design development on the projects that we're working on DDA compliance and access for all is something that someone can get their head around in a very meaningful way at that point in the project um, but maybe you know, doing a passive house full documentation set is not going to that's probably not something that you're going to ask someone with no experience doing documentation.
6: Well, fear of being the odd one out. <laughs> um, look, it, it, I think the word "rush" is is you know correct. No, I, th- I don't think anyone should rush to do anything they're either not ready to do or um, is not is not kind of aligned with what they've been experiencing in their work. Um, In saying that, I mean, it's an incredible education process, the registration process. I think that um, it's one of the best processes I went through professionally. Uh, There's enormous amount of growth happens, um, regardless of whether you decide to do additional studies with a a kind of study group or study with colleagues from different practices. Um, It's a a really enriching time, and I think you come out of the other side of it very different. um, And... um, yeah, I would certainly encourage the process um, if you're ready to do it, to just do it. Um, but um, you know, of course, everybody's—it's such a diverse profession. Everybody's had different levels of experience. And I mean, I started in very big practices, um, both sort of 100 people plus practices, and was lucky to work on contract admin and design and a whole a whole sort of gamut of, of stages. So I was ready. Um, maybe like Alison, I did mine quite early on, um, and I sort of never looked back. So my experience was one of, of really really quite a positive one through registration and um, currently teach professional practice as well. So um, I just think there's um, just an enormous value to really committing to the profession in that way and, and really extending your knowledge in, in all facets. Um, it's not to say that at the other side of profession, you can't go back into something niche or... Um, develop certain skills in a particular stage or have a particular interest. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe slightly different, but uh, certainly agree with don't rush. If you're not ready, you're not ready. Um, but also uh, don't put it off if if it's something that is a desire.
4: Yeah, I just reiterate that because actually, you know, it's a great foundation. Like I said, it does open up doors that you... Um, might not know. Um, so for me personally, that happened definitely. I started to get more involved in large projects and um, definitely got more involved in um, in projects that I wouldn't have, if I had been just doing documentation, just sort of taking my time, I definitely wouldn't have been leading projects in the way that I, that I did through my career. So, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I, I agree with that in that as a gra- graduate, you can't sign off on... Progress payment certificates. So it is a career progression, an important career progression. I think the moral is don't rush. <laughs> and it's and as Tom said, it's not it's being not being passive in your education is actually really sort of speaking up. Um, also knowing the time when you're ready and due to move into something, but it's really making sure that you're getting very broad experience. And if that takes three years or four instead of two, but you but you go in and feel much more, I think that's good. Don't wait six, eight, ten.
8: Hey, um, just something that uh, I did want to bring up that's too pessimistic, but I guess something that doesn't get touched on a lot is um, the mental health in our industry. Um, I think we want to focus on the positive, but I think it has isolated a lot of people um, and they're kind of at varying degrees of their profession. Um, I recently got registered this year and it was probably good and really, really difficult at the same time because I didn't really have anyone to kind of go through the positives and the negatives of the experience Um, and I've seen a lot of graduates kind of drop off because they've had no support and you need that face to face and I think working from home for 18 months or whatever some officers have had to do um, some people haven't really been able to keep up with that and have just completely given up um, on the industry completely. Um, Ups and downs but I think now if we're looking at the civil linings and where we can kind of move forward it's always been a bit of the taboo in our industry that um, working long hours and you know getting through university is a real struggle. But I think we're kind of at a point now where it's like, well, let's recognize that that's been difficult and how can we change it within our, I guess, industry, within the profession, within education, with all those things. Now the silver lining is, I guess, to have that conversation. So I guess a double, double question, how, do you recommend that, you know, grads and registered architects within offices um, approach those conversations with their employers and with their teams? And I guess, how are you guys kind of handling that that issue?
3: I think uh, work-life balance is crucial. Um, and um, I think there's practices that honour it and there's practices that don't. Um, and I think it's a really tricky one. I mean, we... Um, the the Architects Award makes it very clear that you need to be paid overtime at one and a half times or time and lieu. And so I think it's, I think employees need to call it out. Um, and I think, straight, you know, again, you know, banding together and, you know, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that you sort of arrive at, you know, nine and take a full hour lunch break and out the door at 5.30 every day. But um, it's often, it's about having some flexibility. Sometimes people got the dentist appointment and, you know, I know some practices have this thing called a flex calendar where they'll kind of, you know, log in that they need to take their dog to the vet for a couple of hours, but then they kind of work longer, two days, an hour, whatever, you know. it's. But again, it's a bit like finding practices that you um, share values with and feel proud of the work. I think it goes for everything. It's the culture of the office. It's the work environment, you um, yeah, generally I think I'm the, well, everyone has been working hard this year and mental health is a really big challenge, but I, you know, I'm often the worst <laughs> culprit because, you know, it, but it, when, when you're the business owner, it's fine, but I generally do it after hours when I'm at home, you know, after dinner. But I, I just think we have to, we have to, it can't be acceptable that that's how, and I'm not just saying it's big practice, but practices find that, that, that that's how their business is sustainable by getting a whole lot of free hours from their employees.
4: I think um, this year pushed everyone to their limits, I think, in terms of um, resilience and mental health. And, I mean, I yeah, I have eight-year-old twins and homeschooling and, you know, I think one thing I learned is that you can do um, an hour meeting in half an hour. <laughs> um, so, you know, a big thing this year is about communication um, and just being open and saying, I think one thing I realised is people are way more open about saying I'm struggling. Um, I don't have childcare available. I don't, you know, like just stuff has happened that you just can't really plan for. So I think that level of um, openness and conversation has really changed incredibly. Um, I think especially, you know, I'm, I I've kind of had a similar thing where I sort of just did the juggle, and then I realized maybe you don't have to do the juggle, maybe you can actually talk and, and operate as a team and find other ways to do things. Um, so I think for us that's been a big a big shift is that that kind of communication and um open platform in, in just saying when things are things are tough.
3: Just to butt back in, I think one of the challenges though working from home, it was very hard for employers to see when people were working longer hours. And I'd kind of then learned that and you had I had to have kind of conversations with people um, that they shouldn't be doing that and we needed to kind of because it was very hard to kind of have a a barrier or a kind of when the workday finished and when the home time started. So I think it is probably about a conversation in the office and also kind of talking through and, and reminding people that they need to kind of talk up if they're struggling to get through the work or because um, some people are just super diligent and it's not to say therefore that's great but they just, they're just they really wanting to get something done or they're worried that it's taking them longer or whatever it is um, but that became very hard to monitor.
4: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think that that checking in with people, um, that just became, you know, a huge part of every day. Um, Having, you know, check-ins in the morning and just making sure people were okay. I think also just, um, you know, the onus
6: is sort of on the leadership team to make their own um, struggles very visible. I mean, there's a certain limit to that, of course. We all have private lives outside the office, but... um, You know, I think it's really nice when you're able to say, God, I'm having a really bad day today and just had the worst meeting and, you know, this client is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I don't know what we're going to do, whatever it is. But, you know, I think often you sort of feel like you have to sort of always kind of be the, um, you know, carry yourself for the the office, for the team, for the employees in big practice and small practice. But it's been so refreshing, Um, you know, even a little while ago, just watching a, a Zoom conference with... Um, Jacinda Ardern and her, you know, child is interrupting her and kind of pulling her hair and she's like, not now, not now. You know, you think, gosh, that wouldn't have happened two years ago. Um, And now it's sort of just accepted that we have these lives that are, you know, really um, becoming part of our work life. And the more we can be visible and talk about that as leaders to to emerging practitioners um, and to graduates, I think the more that that will become accepted and and hopefully encourage um, just a continual dialogue and checking in.
2: Any other questions? Yep, we've got one at the back. I think this will be our last one.
0: Hi, my name is Nichol and I'm a graduate of architecture from Deakin University, Geelong. So my question is that the, yes, the circumstances have been really uncertain and there have been graduates joining remotely, working from home. So how have you been ensuring that there are uh, appropriate team building activities going on? Because it's so easy when you are face-to-face and working in the office, you can have that uh, face-to-face interaction and activities. But how, how do you plan on making... Uh, on ensuring that those uh, strong team building activities keep going and people feel supported.
3: I was just going to say that lockdown, I think the hardest was to uh, um, support students and graduates in the office because there's so much learning by watching and observing and listening. And so that, so anyway, just putting that, that was kind of, tricky. Um, and it was about having people in teams but it, 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 it's very, I think that was tough. Um, do you want to talk team building?
4: Um, well, we've got a few things that we do. I mean, obviously, trying to connect quite a few people in one go. Um, we have sort of regular studio meetings every Monday and um, just checking in. Um, and then we do a more sort of social event on Fridays. Um, but we also do mentoring. Um, and that's actually been really successful. So I think over the last couple of years, I mean, you know, because we've got Periods of being out of lockdown, so we can actually see each other um, and have a coffee down the street. So we've been really trying to encourage, um, yeah, teams to um, connect with each other, um, but also, uh, you know, Zoom dress ups and things like that. But um, <laughs> um, but the mentoring program has been really important for us.
5: I th- the I think your question and the, and the previous question as well, both. Go back to an idea of practice culture, and uh, as Claire said, I think there's practices that really try to nurture a very positive practice culture, and there's others where, where that might not be the case. And uh, I think sort of I'm, I'm, I don't think they're easy questions, um, especially given the nature of the work. And when it gets busy, it can be very hard to maintain a, a healthy practice culture. And that's speaking from uh, have been in em- being an employee in medium sized practices um, but I think being again not being passive about that is really important and if I mean I think the worst thing that can happen is that that someone becomes deeply unhappy because of their role in a practice because of the practice culture, and I would hope that they have enough support to leave that practice and and really demonstrate that that's not acceptable as a way of practicing architecture. I mean, we I would hope that there's enough conversation going on that we're, that we're on a trajectory to maintain a healthy practice culture in, in Melbourne, at least that's been my experience. Um, but I think, yeah, being quite vocal about it is, is something I would encourage and, and certainly there's no easy answers to it. Um, and I guess it 's what people what people find acceptable i think every every now and then when if it gets busy and it 's a really great project and it 's aligned with your values then I imagine people stay for a bit longer and and do the job but if that 's expected of you and the norm i, I don 't think that 's the right way i mean it's you're ultimately i think we like architecture is a profession and it 's a vocation it 's a passion it 's all of these things but as Claire pointed out, there's an architect's award and I guess technically it's a job and you're employed between certain hours and you get paid for the hours you work and it's not more complicated than that at, on some level. Um, so yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't think there's an easy answer but finding practices that have a good practice culture and, and I hope collectively also it goes back to speaking to your friends and colleagues and trying to identify what is right and what's wrong in, in terms of your experiences and then trying to be quite clear about that. Um, and I think that's helped me a lot again, speaking to people and or my staff speaking to me and saying, oh, I know someone that works like this and I'm really glad that you don't work like that. And that reinforces to me that if I want to retain good staff and have a positive culture in the practice, that. I have to run a business that, that doesn't rely on unpaid hours to be a profitable and sustainable practice.
6: Yeah, I think um, it's a really tricky situation because I think um, there are there is obviously a, a sort of, you know, inherent power imbalance when you're a graduate and you enter a particularly large practice where you might be one of, yeah, upwards of 100 staff members and you're in this you know, intense period of change, this kind of processing from being in a very supportive educational environment to being in, um, you know, a business model. Um, So, yeah, a lot of sympathy for that situation during COVID, um, really difficult to navigate. Um, I I just, you know, it just comes back to this, this like having conversations. I think it's really important to also, if you can't, hopefully nobody feels like they can't talk to their employer. I really sincerely hope that because if, if that's the case, then, you know, it, you know, it's probably time to leave. But I think if, like, talking amongst yourselves as graduates, I mean, I've just seen an immense change in my professional years from when I graduated, you know, there's a really mobilised graduate Um, Community really galvanised community, Um, you know, activism and leading by ideals has become really strong and um, it's just, it's really positive. So I think if that, you know, continues to galvanise and that conversation continues to happen um, in your own circles, um, I mean, you're just so valuable to the profession in so many ways um, and inspiring and um, contribute so greatly that um, the more that conversation happens, um, you know, I hope, um, the few practices out there that might be, um, you know, maybe not delivering um, on the the kind of cultural practice side of things do change, you know, and we see a really positive industry, which we're already seeing, you know, in in a lot of practice. So, um, there's been a lot of positive change, but, you know, recognising there's still, um, there's still some way to go. Um, Well, um, thank you so
2: much for that. And... Thank you for everybody here submitted their questions tonight. It's been very eye-opening and it's good to hear plans for next year. So if you could please join us to thank Danielle, Tom, Alison, and Claire. And thank you everybody for joining us once again. So we'll now open the floor. So please go ahead and mingle and as I said, take this opportunity to warm up your networking skills and if worse comes to sh- if you don't know what to say, just say how's this year been? Bit loaded. If not, just ask, what do you look forward to? Or just ask, I'm interested in getting a job, please help me. <laughs> Thank you everybody. Thank you.
0: You're listening to an Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at empavilion.org subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.